This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been going through Joshua one chapter at a time, and today we're in chapter three. And let's read it together, beginning in verse one. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. That's a fun word to say. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Verse four, yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits, which is about 1,000 yards in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. I want you to underline that or highlight that or swipe that in your Bible. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Verse five, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. How many of you guys know we serve a wonder working God? A God who is eager to do wonders among us. And this is what we've been praying for as a church. Uh, One thing I I neglected to mention is that beginning in September, we are gonna be uh, starting our prayer nights up again on Tuesday nights here in this building, here in the chapel at 7 p.m. We'd love for you to join us. But this is what we're praying for. We're praying specifically for the Lord to do wonders among us, to do mighty exploits among us. As we've seen with Gideon, he doesn't need a whole lot of help, a whole lot of people. He doesn't need giant crowds to make a difference, come on. And I believe that God has called upon each and every one of us to do our part, to reach our city for the glory of God, amen? And that's our heartbeat as a church. In order to do so, I believe the Lord has a few things for us from Joshua here. I believe that he wants us as a people to live a consecrated life. Say consecration. The word consecrate means to set apart, to make holy, to make sacred, to set it aside for specific special use. When I got married, I got some really fancy dishware, okay? It's called China, and I don't cook my hot dogs on it. Why? Because it's consecrated. It is set aside for a specific special use. We hardly ever use it because it's so nice. My aunt bought it for us. But I don't let my kids cook on it because it has a special purpose, a holy purpose, a consecrated purpose. That's what we're after with this word today. To understand the importance of what's happening here with Joshua and the Israelites, I believe we first have to understand the significance of covenant. Say covenant. The title of my message today is this. We are a covenant people. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about being a courageous people, a commissioned people, an equipped people, a prophetic people, and today, a covenant people. In order to understand the significance of covenant, I think we need to rewind a little bit. For some of you, this will be the very first teaching that you've ever received on covenant. And I'm excited today to put on my teacher's hat and give you a few quick downloads on the importance of what covenant means. Go with me to Exodus, beginning in chapter two. It says this in verse 24, God heard their groaning and God remembered his what? Covenant. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. 
The Hebrew word covenant here is a fascinating word. It's the Hebrew noun barith. Say barith. Got to put a little TH on the end of it, okay? And it means a committed agreement of alliance or friendship. Now, what made covenants different than contracts is that a covenant typically emphasized relationship. Okay, so when you make a contract with somebody, you're a business associate, all right? And you're a partner. But when you come into a covenant with someone, you're becoming like family. You're becoming more than partners. You're becoming friends. In the ancient world, when two parties would enter into covenant together, they would often take an animal, and I'm sorry for all you animal lovers out there, but they would cut it in half, and they would separate it into two pieces. And the sacrifice of that animal was a symbolic gesture of the sealing of that covenant that was being formed through the cost of the spilling of blood. Are you with me? What made the covenant different was that the two parties forming this covenant were now joined together by blood. Blood had been spilt, a cost had been waged, and now a friendship could be formed. And this is exactly the kind of relationship that God enters into with a man named Abram from the town of Ur. Genesis chapter 12, verse one says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse three, and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, say all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What an amazing promise. Here God tells Abram that he will make him into a great nation. He's going to bless him so that what? He can be a blessing. So that he can be a blessing. And in doing so, God begins to establish the terms of the contract. Are you with me? He starts placing in, into the foundation of the relationship the terms of the covenant. Excuse me. Covenant, not contract. Interestingly, Genesis 12 goes on to tell us this. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So, Ab so God makes a promise to Abram to bless him, to be a blessing, to make him a father of many nations so that all the families of the earth can be blessed. And now he adds to that promise, still building into the foundation of the terms of the covenant that he's about to enter into with Abram, another promise involving land, involving a specific piece of land, the land of Canaan. Now, you guys know that one of our board members, Pastor Michael Evans, serves as uh, CEO of the Friends of Zion Museum in Jerusalem and the Jerusalem Prayer Team Ministry. He's in Israel, actually he's getting ready to go back in a couple weeks, he'll be there. And the thing that he will tell you or that people from Israel will tell you is that the land matters. The land matters. And, and, and why people don't get this and why they don't understand this is because they don't understand Genesis 12 and they don't understand covenant and they don't understand the promises that God made to the descendants of Abraham. And as a result, there is conflict today, isn't there? between Israel and Palestine, between warring tribes and nations, between all the surrounding nations like Iran and Saudi Arabia that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. 
But I got some good news for Israel today. It ain't going to happen because God made a promise and God's promises are always yes and amen. They're always true. He keeps them and he keeps his word. But what's interesting is that God makes a specific promise to Abram. This land, he says, the land of Canaan, I'm going to give you this land. So God is very specific about his promise. And then what happens next? Verse 17. Excuse me, Genesis 15, verse 7. And he said to them, I am the Lord. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abraham said, or Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Verse 9. So God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram brought God all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Verse 17, now let's skip down a little bit in the story. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a what? A covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. So the presence of the Lord passes through the pieces. God essentially says, I'm going to enter into this covenant with you myself. And this is astonishing because this is the first time in history that anything like this has taken place, which makes it unique, which makes it significant. And I believe which makes it a pivotal moment for the story of God's redemption plan for the world. More on that in a moment. I want to say this, when the Lord makes a covenant with us, this is exactly what he does. He enters into it himself. He swears himself to us. He binds himself to us. He gives us specific promises. And just like we see here with Abram, he gives us a new identity. What does he do with Abram? He changes his name. Names are significant. Names are all about identity. When people were named back in this day, it was incredibly significant because it carried the essence of who they would become and the purpose they would have in their family. So God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. He gives him a new name and he gives him a new mission to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Are you tracking? And he gives him a new mandate to walk holy before his God. We see it actually in one of the, the next verses we're going to look at, but before I get ahead of myself, up until this point, have you noticed that the covenant has been completely built on what God said he would do? Has Abram done anything yet? He sure hasn't. Has he done a single work? Has he produced anything for God? Has he given him a single offering or tithe? No, he hasn't done anything. God, in his own act of volition, in grace, as a gift, go back, please. As a gift, go back, please. Does this with Abram. He changes his name. He makes him to be a blessing. And he tells him to walk holy before him. This is all what God does first with a crazy dude named Abram. Now Abraham. And this is exactly what the Lord does with us. I want you to see the parallels. This is what the Lord does for us. He changes our name. Next slide. He changes our name and we become what? Born again. We receive a new identity in Christ Jesus. We become new creations. He gives us a new mission. What's the mission? 
to make disciples of all nations. We, we call it the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28. And then what's the mandate? To be holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated for God's special use, meaning that your life and my life are no longer our own. We live in a society that says, have it your way. You do you, right? Remember the old song, I did it my way. Not in the kingdom of God. It's not about you. It's not about me anymore. It's about him. It's about his mission and mandate for our lives. Why? Because we have been set apart. We've been consecrated. Now, as I've already mentioned, everything that God has said, promised or done has been a result of what? Of grace. This is so critical for us to understand before we get anywhere because it establishes an important principle that I believe is absolutely important for what is to come. And that is that grace always precedes the obligation. Grace always comes before the law. And I want you to hear this today because a lot of times people make the mistake of reading the Old Testament and all they think is law, 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 law. Obligation, duty, 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 duty. But can I tell you, if you actually look at the origins of what God does with each and every person, it's always an act of grace. It's always by grace and grace alone. The reformers in the 1300s came up with this slogan, saved by grace and grace alone. And there's a Latin phrase for it, and it's, I'm blanked. Matt could probably tell it to you. But it's this idea that you're saved by grace and grace alone. By what God has done and him alone. By grace. And grace is important because without grace, we're all dead in the water. Without grace, it's just us trying to live our best lives for God. Without grace, it's you and I trying to present our good works. And how many of you guys know what the Bible says about that? It's like filthy rags, he says. Your righteousness, your good works, your attempts to, to manage your life and appear good and holy and righteous and sanct apart on your own, not gonna cut it. So we need grace, but it's important that we understand that every covenant of God is built in grace. We could say that all of the covenants from the Old Testament through the New are covenants of grace. God saw God acted and people responded. Now, let's fast forward a little further into the story here and we're gonna pick up a little bit of speed. Exodus chapter six, now verse two. Now God's with Moses and he says to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Those are all Abraham's descendants. As God Almighty, as God Almighty, we sang about it today, one of the names of God, El Shaddai. But my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So God had given Abraham a limited understanding and revelation of who he was by his name. But to Moses, he gives an even greater understanding and even greater revelation of who he is by his name, Yahweh. And it goes on to say, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land, the land in which they lived as sojourners, meaning temporary guests, right? Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians now hold as slaves, and I have what? Remembered my covenant. Now, this word remember is super important, you guys. 
It actually means, let's put it up there. It's the Hebrew word zakar, and it means to bring to the forefront of the mind to recall or to think on, to ponder upon. The implication of this is that God heard their cry and remembered the promises that he made to Abraham all those years, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Though Israel had long suffered under the rule of Pharaoh, God remembered his word and was true to his promise. And why this should encourage us today? Well, it should encourage us because it means that you and I can trust him. There may be times in your life where you feel like the Lord is slow to answer, right? And, and you have promises of God for your life that have been made to you or, or things that you've been praying on or waiting on. And you're like, Lord, where is it? Can I tell you? Your timing is not his timing. Just like we saw last week. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our timing is not his timing. But we can have this assurance. We can trust that he will do whatever he says he will do according to his word. And here he is, making good on this promise with Moses. Some of you have been waiting on promises, and I want to encourage you specifically today, the Lord has not forgotten you. He sees you. He knows you. He hears your thoughts. He knows the inward meditation of your heart. He knows the anxiety that you wrestle with over the things that are undone. He, he knows. He sees. He knows all the hairs on your head or the lack thereof for some of you. He's intimate with you. Trust his timing. Can I tell you? This is hard for me. I want to get the cart out ahead of the horse sometimes. I'm like, all right, let's go. And God gives me a prophetic word or a promise. I'm like, all right, let's make it happen tomorrow. <laughs> tell that to Joseph who waited in a dungeon for years. Tell that to the people of God who were in slavery for hundreds of years. And we're mad that God hasn't moved in a week. I think we need to hold these things in a tension, don't we? The Lord is a covenant-keeping God. He always shoulders the burden of the covenant by binding himself to us in love. He accommodates us right where we are. Like Abraham, he didn't ask Abraham to get his act together. He didn't ask Isaac to get his act together. He didn't ask Jacob to get his act together. He didn't ask Moses to get his act together. He didn't ask David to get his act together. He encounters them, anoints them, enters into covenant, love with them before they even had a chance to even figure out what God was up to. And as a result of God's act of grace in their life, it begins to change everything. It begins to shift the dynamics of their relationship. Later in Exodus 19, verse three through six, we see how this relationship between God and Moses and the people at Mount Sinai begins to play out. Then the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You guys, only a loving father would do that. Only a loving father. Verse five, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my what? Treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is God doing here? He's consecrating them. He's setting them apart for a specific purpose, for a specific purpose. 
Now, it's at this point in the story that I want to turn our attention back to Joshua. Go with me back to the book of Joshua. Up until this point, God's done all that heavy lifting, hasn't he? He's graciously made promises and covenants, and he's done miracles and wonders. He's delivered them out of slavery and bondage, all things that he has initiated. But now he begins to call on the people to respond to the covenant by doing two things. And here they are. Obey his voice and keep his covenant. I want you to underline or write those down. Now he begins to call on Israel and the people of God to respond to the act of grace, his deliverance, his saving, his choosing, his making them holy, his setting them apart by obeying his voice and keeping his covenant. Now, I want to say that if you rightly understand all that the Lord has done for you, then obeying his voice and keeping his covenant is not a duty, but a delight. Can I say it again? If you understand what God saved you from, keeping his covenant and obeying his voice is never going to be a duty. Oh, I have to do this. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, look what I got to do. No, it's going to be a delight. You're going to delight yourself in him, like David says, and delight yourself in the law because of what God's already done for you. If you don't understand this, then your view of God's grace in your life will be cheap. It'll never be costly. And you'll always see obedience as a religious obligation. And you'll see keeping his covenant as a burdensome chore. The scriptures are clear on this. We love God because God first loved us. But today I want to ask the question and just press us a little further before we close. How do we actually love God? A lot of people define love all sorts of ways today, don't they? Which means we really should ask ourselves, what do we mean by love? How do we demonstrate our love for the Lord? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What is he saying? He's saying that those that love God obey God, right? They obey his voice and they follow him. At Courageous Church, this is what we're all about. Helping helping people become courageous followers of Jesus by learning how to do what? First hear his voice. First recognize his authority. First invite him into your life to be Lord and Savior and King. Jesus says it. My sheep, those that belong to me, those that have been set apart, consecrated on my purpose, made holy, those that belong to me are my special possession. They hear my voice and they follow after it. Isn't it interesting here in Joshua chapter three that God has set the ark of the covenant before the people with specific instructions on how to follow. Let's put it up there. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant, Joshua 3, 3, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. It's almost as if God was trying to teach them not to get ahead of themselves. How do we know this? Well, he gives them a specific distance that they're supposed to keep. Verse four, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, 1,000 yards, so 10 football fields in length was the distance they were to keep between following after the Ark and marching into the land. Can I say this? As a covenant people, we are called to pursue the presence of God. 
We are supposed to follow after Jesus, not get out in front of him so that, like the text says, we know the way that we're supposed to go. We are sheep. He is our shepherd. And we have to learn how to get good at listening, listening. This is hard because as you guys rightly know, our world is full of noise and competing voices all telling us what to do and where to go and how to dress and what to invest in and so on and so forth. The battle for many of us is just to get back to hearing the voice of the Lord. Lord, it's your voice alone I seek. And can I tell you this? The Lord doesn't scream at us. He doesn't want to. You know why? Because he wants us to be able to hear his voice to hear the small whispering voice of God. I love the story of Elijah. You guys have heard it, right? He goes out to meet the Lord. His voice is not in the wind. His voice is not in the earthquake. His voice is not in the fire. But then a small, still voice comes to him. Elijah, Kayleen, Jenna, Sean. Gary, I am the Lord, Yahweh. God wants to speak to us like lovers do. For those of you that are married, when you're close, you're within kissing distance, you're not shouting, are you? Honey, I really love you right now. Yeah, that's a good way to get slapped. It's more like, honey, I really love you right now. It's the same way with the Lord in that he wants to recalibrate the way we hear, listen, and obey. What else did Jesus say about the way that we are called to love him? John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. What's he saying? He's saying those that love God, obey him, hear his voice, and keep his covenant. Jesus would go on to say this just a few verses later in John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. And doing both these things, obeying the voice of the Lord and keeping his commandments, keeping his covenant, we do exactly what God was telling Moses to do in Exodus 19. Now, you might be wondering like me, like how do I do this, right? Like how do I, how do I keep all the commandments? I can barely tie my shoes in the morning. <laughs> Some of you, you're like just getting out of bed is a success and victory, am I right? Like not hitting the snooze 10 times, getting to work on time, yeah. For those of you that run a little late, grace, grace to you. <laughs> the truth is ultimately you guys, in your own strength, in your own power, in your own flesh, in your own ability, you can't. You can't. But God can. Through the person and through the power of his Holy Spirit working in us. Jesus, in this same chapter and in the same context, makes this remarkable claim. And it's actually sandwiched between these two verses, verse 15 and 21. It's found in verse 16. He says this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another what? Helper. Helper. 
And that helper will be with you Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus was prophesying the moment in which the Holy Spirit would come and take up residence within them, right? And then later come upon them up in the upper room. So the question is, how do I obey God's voice? How do I honor the covenant and keep his covenant? The answer, through the power and help of the Holy Spirit. Through the power and help of the Holy Spirit. The helper, friends, this is how we live out our mandate. This is how we, like Abraham, walk holy and blamelessly before the Lord. Remember how I said that God gave Abram a new identity and a mission and mandate? What was the mandate? What was it? Genesis 17, verse one, it tells us, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Lord, how am I gonna be blameless? How am I going to do this? Could barely get out of bed in the morning. Through the power and person of the Holy Spirit, taking up residence within you. So what's the mandate? Essentially, what God's saying here is to be holy. It's holiness, isn't it? For Abraham, it meant honoring the covenant by walking before God blamelessly. Did Abraham accomplish this perfectly? Nope. Did it deter God from keeping his covenant with him? Nope. What about Moses? What was Moses's mandate? Exodus 34, 12 through 13 tells us, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. What was the mandate? Holiness. For Moses, it meant honoring the covenant of God by tearing down all of the foreign altars and idols among the people. Did Moses accomplish this perfectly? No. Did it deter God from keeping his covenant with him? No. And what was Joshua's mandate? As we just read, Joshua 3, 5 tells us, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What was the mandate? Holiness. Did Joshua accomplish this perfectly? Well, no. Not exactly. Joshua 7, 11 tells us of how the Israelites would sin against God by not remaining consecrated unto God. Let's read the verse. Verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. So what's God's response? Go consecrate yourselves again. In other words, go back to doing what I told you to do at first. Obey my voice and keep my commands. Here's my working definition of holiness for us as a church, what it means to live a consecrated life. Are you ready? It's to be devotedly set apart for one purpose, for one purpose, to love God by obeying his voice and keeping his commands. Simple, but not easy, right? Anybody struggle with this? I'll be the first to raise my hand, but this is the call and this is what he has saved us for. This is what he has redeemed us to do, to be consecrated and set apart as his holy ambassadors in the earth. How do I know this? Well, have you ever been on a plane? What does the the flight attendant tell you? Before you can put oxygen on somebody else, you need to first put it on yourself, right? Well, that's the same thing. 
God's like, before you can be a help to the world and be a light in darkness, you need to first have that light in you. And you need to first be receiving that oxygen, that, that holy air from the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the call. The difference between what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob experienced, what Moses experienced, what David experienced, what all of the people of the Old Testament experienced is that they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. We do. So my question is, what's our excuse? Some of us need to take a, a big, long look in the mirror today and go, what's my excuse? God has liberated me from sin, from slavery unto death, from the devil, from the domain of darkness. He's given me a new name, a new identity, a new mission, a new mandate. So why am I going back to this old thing? I'll tell you why. You know why we do that sometimes? Because we still think this is attractive. We still have an appetite for it. You only go back to eat where you enjoyed the food, right? So if you went to Chakarama and you got sick off of the salmon, you're not going back there again, right? Some of you are like, no, I'm, I might still go back. They got the little ice cream machine, it's awesome. But if you go to Ruth Chris and you have an amazing steak and garlic roasted mashed potatoes and a wonderful glass of wine and you say to yourself, well, now that is an amazing dinner. You're going back. It's all about appetite. For us as the people of God, the challenge that remains before us is a matter of appetite. What are you feeding? What are you feeding? You know that they actually put chemicals in the french fries at McDonald's to make you come back and want to eat them? You guys know that? Some of you are like, man, I love those fries. I just don't understand it. Can I tell you something? The Word of God has plenty of God-ordained organic nutrients that when you begin to feed on it, will make you want to come back and have some more. When you begin to realize that this is more than just a dead, dusty old book and that it actually contains the words of life, you'll begin to want to fill your life with it. Remember what I said, if you understand all that God's done for you, you'll do this from a place of delight, not duty. I can't tell you how many Christians I talk to who are just trying to get through life, just slugging it out, just trying to live my best life, just trying to do my best. Can I tell you something? You'll be free when you stop trying to live for God and you start allowing God to live in you. Anybody weary of just trying to like live for God? Like, man, I'm just trying my best and I'm just struggling. Can I invite you to something else? Can I invite you to yield your life in surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and each and every day start your morning with him? Start your morning feeding on the right things thinking on the right things, it's amazing how it will set a course, not only for your day, but for your appetites. And before long, you'll go, I don't even remember what that used to taste like because I'm so content in him. I'm so full of him. I'm so thankful for him. I'm so eager to keep his commands and to hear his voice because I know the Lord wants to speak to me today. I get to hear the voice of almighty God today. Could you imagine if that was the way we woke up? 
with that kind of expectation, instead of going to our iPhones to check our email, silencing the notifications or whatever it is that y'all do, (laughs) could you imagine? I think it would change everything for us. We'd start receiving from the Lord the life that he wants to live in us. What did Paul say? This life I live in Christ is no longer the life that I live in the flesh. I'm dead to that. I've crucified sin and, and, and all of its uh, desires. And the life that I have in me is, is the resurrected life of Jesus. Today, when we baptize Connor, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating this man's public confession of his desire to bury the old life and to be raised into the new. Amen. And we're excited for you, brother. I know you got your family here today, and I know those that are going to miss you when you go off to Brazil. Uh, But what's exciting is that this is a new journey for you. This is a new step for you. This is a new day for you. And for all of us, that's the invitation. But here's what I want to say, not just to be baptized as a one and done thing, but to go on being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, to go on being baptized each and every day. Do you guys know that God wants to continue to baptize you even after you've been baptized? He wants to baptize you in fire. He wants to baptize you in love. He wants to baptize you in holiness. He wants to baptize your appetites and desires. He wants to go on baptizing you, immersing you in the life of his spirit. And that's the invitation today. So let me ask you, are you devotedly set apart for one purpose, to love God, to hear his voice, to keep his commands. Here at Courageous Church, this is one of our number one core values. We call it being devoted to Jesus. It's the core value that every other value is built upon. We wanna honor the everlasting covenant that God's made with us through the shedding of his own blood by living lives that are surrendered to him because he gave it all for us, because he was bruised and beaten for us because he was mocked and despised for us, because he was publicly humiliated and tortured for us, because he loved us this way, according to Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Church, he not only redeemed us by his blood, but he cleansed us from our iniquities so that we could be set apart and consecrated and made holy unto him, zealous for every good work. First Peter 2.9 reminds us, but you are a chosen race, courageous church. You are a royal priesthood, courageous church. You are a holy nation, courageous church. You are a people for his own possession, courageous church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh God, we rejoice in that today. We rejoice in what you've done for us, Lord, and how you've called us and saved us and redeemed us and set us apart to proclaim your praise as a covenant people, as a people full of mercy, as those who know who they are in Christ Jesus. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Amen. So let's learn to rejoice. Let's not take it for granted. Let's not abuse or tarnish our witness of God's amazing grace. Instead, let's honor the covenant by living consecrated lives full of purity, 
full of passion and full of power. Amen? And we're going to do so through the help and power of His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.